0: When is winning worse than losing? Pastor Xavier Rees has the simple truth.
1: Jesus said, for what profit is a man gains of the whole world and loses his soul, Luke 9, 25. Possessions have a tendency to possess man's top priorities and eliminate the things of God. It's not speaking against money or houses or anything, but the trust and the soul dependency at the expense of spiritual
0: riches. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Have you ever fallen for a get-rich-quick scam? While there's nothing wrong with the rich part, it's how you choose to get there that makes the difference. Today, as he continues his study series of the Gospel of Luke, Pastor Xavier reveals the true danger of pursuing wealth for wealth's sake. Take a minute and open up your Bible to the book of Luke for today's study. Money is amoral,
1: as you know. It's not the money that's bad. It's the love of money. Uh, in fact, Paul says in First Timothy 6.10 that um, it's the root of all evil, uh, which some have strayed from the faith. So he accuses Christians of this sin in their greediness and piercing themselves through with many sorrows. So money is needed. You need to buy a car, your clothes, and this and that. That's not wrong in itself. It's the love of money that corrupts things. And when men live for money, they become... Slaves to that passion and it destroys them as well as those around them and all of us know examples of that. So that is the main problem rather than allowing money to serve as an instrument by which we can use it for the good of ourselves and others. um, We look around the world in America and we see extremes of wealth and poverty Uh, on on many levels, different things. But a mistake we make often is we think the Bible teaches that all of us would be equal in this aspect of it. We're living a fallen world. It's an ideal thing, it's not what it's talking about. And we'll point some of this stuff out. But you know, greed comes in many different ways. People sacrifice their innocence, their their purity, or or their ethics by, by money. It happens in this fallen world. People are pulled and attracted by the power and by what they can possess. And so what we want to do is look at some of the words that appear directly and indirectly in relationship to money and wealth here by Luke and to see how they are affirmed in the parabolic teaching because Luke gives us many parables that are not found anywhere else and he lines them up with these themes. And so we want to look at Luke's teaching here on wealth and possessions by three contrasts that he gives to us by the concepts and things that appear in his gospel. Let me give you the three contrasts. First, Luke reveals a contrast of social inner attitudes of persons by the words lowly and mighty. It begins with an attitude. Secondly, Luke reveals a contrast between economic positions of persons by the words poor and rich. And third, he'll finish up by revealing the contrast between unspirituality and true spirituality by the words treasure covetous in contrast to lend and give and so let's begin here with the first Luke reveals the contrast of social inner attitudes of persons by the words lowly and mighty we uh, saw it in the first chapter in chapter 1 verse 48 Mary in her song called the Magnificent as she magnifies God the Savior for regarding her lowly estate by choosing her to be the mother of the Christ's child. It says, For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant, for behold, henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. The word lowly means um, reduction, depression of mind, and the idea is that of humility here in chapter 1, verse 48. She was a humble young woman. Um, The word is used of the humiliation of Jesus, our physical body that will be changed, and the humbling of the rich in Acts 8.33. Philippians 3.21 and James 1.10. So the context will show you how it's used, uh, whether it's humility or abasing. Now, the word lowly in a different form can also mean small, base, or insignificant. In fact, here in chapter 1 of Luke, verse 52, it says, For he has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. The contrast of the lowly and mighty are inseparable and emphatic in this whole Uh, section. We've already pointed out in 48 he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. In 51 he scattered the proud, those are the mighty. 52 he has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. And in 53 he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has set away empty. In contrast because they depend on themselves and not upon God. Not because God hates rich people as we'll see. Now And God would choose the lowly, the insignificant, weak, and poor to reveal his salvation and exalt them but abase the proudful, the mighty, and the rich who have exalted themselves among men because they reject God. And that's the whole thing. Now this principle is repeated both in figurative language and literal language throughout the Gospel of Luke and in other Gospels also. In chapter 3 of Luke, verse 5, it says, Let every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough ways smooth. It's talking about a literal practice they did to welcome the emperor the king as they would come in on the roads that were bad, they would pass them up. But it's also, secondly, speaking about the exalted people being brought low. So it's in figurative language that it's talking about. It's twofold. In chapter 14, verse 11, the principle is, for whoever exalts himself will be humble, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And we'll see this repeated throughout the parables. We even understand this in the secular world, at least much so when, we, when there was an ethic and a morality in the United States. But even now, when it's an amoral society, we still see this. Proud people get humble. They eat crows once in a while. And, and, and people that are abased sometimes are exalted. Though it's getting more difficult for that to happen. In chapter 18 of Luke, verse 14, uh, it says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humble, and who humbles himself will be exalted. There's that principle again. The context of this, and we'll get a little more in detail, is the publican and the Pharisee praying. Okay? So that principle is repeated. Now, this contrast is equally found now in the parabolic teaching of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We'll begin here in chapter 7, 36 to 50. Simon the Pharisee was abased by Jesus, but the sinful woman, the prostitute, was exalted to a daughter of Abraham. Simon believed that he was righteous. He didn't need forgiveness. He he exalted himself. The woman recognized she was a sinner, and therefore she was forgiven much, so she loved much. You have the contrast there continually. In chapter 14, verse 7 through 11, Jesus points out, to the Pharisees in another parable of the proud and the mighty that were invited to a wedding feast, that they should choose not the best or the chief seats, but rather the, the lower seats, not thinking themselves more highly than the yacht. And for it's much better to be asked from a lower position to be come up higher than to be sitting in the highest position, and then all of a sudden you are asked to be humble before everybody. Jesus says, don't go right to the head one. Everybody's going to go for the middle one. one's going to go for the top middle. He says, go for the lowest one. So that they're asking you, you're brought up front, you're exalted, and you're not humble. And that's the picture that he's given here. Now, Jesus spoke a parable of some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, despising others. And we find this in Luke 18, 9 through 14. This is the two men that we just inferred to. The Pharisee and the tax collector in verse 10. The Pharisee prayed with himself, exalting himself. He says, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioner, unjust, adulterer, even as this tax collector probably pointing to him. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. He prayed with himself. Didn't pray to God. The tax collector pleading with God for mercy. The tax collector standing far off. Would not even as much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Propitiate me. So the punchline is in verse 14. He gives the verdict Jesus, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than others, than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be exalted, and he who humbles himself should be exalted. So there again is the principle, okay? And this is over and over and over again in the Gospel of Luke. It has been said, it's a shame that when. Success turns a person's head. It doesn't also wring his neck just a little. <laughs> it doesn't take much to puff us up or to think that we're the greatest thing since ice cream. We're fallen people. The deception with self-righteousness is that it's a person making themselves the standard. It's a false measure. The true measure is God. Are you ready for it? Perfection, sinlessness. Any takers? No one can meet it. The human measure is based on the evil or the sin a person does or does not commit. And the problem with a self-righteous attitude is that um, our sins always look worse on others than ourselves. You see, I can understand why God forgave me for you fill in the blank. But you, you dog, how could you? You see, I have no problem with God forgiving me for all my sins. My problem is, why did He forgive you? We're bad to the bone. Welcome to the human race. That's what you have to fight every day of your life as a Christian. Your old man, your old self righteousness, your evil heart. The problem is the heart, then. God registered this from the beginning, even before the first judgment. Genesis 6, 5, he says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thought of the heart of man was evil. Only evil continually. Keep your hearts with all diligence, for out of it springs forth the issues of life. Proverbs four twenty three 23 says, You've got to guard your heart with the word of God, the spirit of God. When pride comes, then comes shame. But with the humble, is wisdom proverbs 11:2 what a contrast the desire to be noticed to be exalted and be our uh, number one is innate in all of us part of the fallen nature people um, love to drop names who they know who they spend time with people love to flash their classiness of clothes or cars they drive or where they live. Now there's nothing wrong with the clothes, the car, or the place you live. It's what you, how you view that, the perspective and and what you do with it and what it does to you. And and you don't even have to be real wealthy. I mean, some people just, you know, they want you to think they're rich. (laughs) Today, um, the social media those of you who are young and you uh, you you cyberspace to it everything, it's one of the biggest lies. Everybody's living the dream. You present yourself exactly the way you want. It's a lie. These dating scenes. Are you kidding me? You look at the picture, you go, whoa. You look at the person, you go, Aah. I mean, <laughs> it's it's a big lie. The social media. There's some good in it, but let me tell you, we're bad to the bone. Paul put it this way in Romans 12, 16. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. That's the natural thing, fallen. We have to work at it. Peter put it this way, 1 Peter 5, 5 through 6. Yes, all of you. Be submissive to one another, and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. So, as Christians, we understand we rest in God, we trust in God, and and all of that comes through God's hand. In the world, we competed to be on top, and we had to fight to stay on top, and then we we told people we we're on top when we're really on the bottom. I mean, it was a weird world. You know what I mean? And if you're not careful as a Christian, you'll get sucked back into those things because you still have a sin nature. You can't escape this. Luke reveals a contrast of social inner attitude of persons by the words lowly and mighty more than any of the other gospels. Very, very clear. The second contrast he gives us is that he reveals the contrast between the economic positions of persons by the words poor and the word rich. The word um, for poor is an adjective meaning um, destitute or a mendicant, a beggar, one who is poverty of uh, funds. This includes wealth, influence, and position, and honor before men, of course, because this is the only place that, that wealth has any influence. The streets of uh, heaven are gold. God's not bragging about it. It's just building material. <laughs> That's all it is. The word appears uh, the most in Luke 10 times, and it always refers to finances, poverty of finances. Nine of the ten times come straight from the word, from the mouth of our Lord. The only time that it doesn't is when Zacchaeus declares that he gives half of his goods to the poor in Luke 19, 18. Whenever a Jew gives half of his thing to the poor, he's got to be saved. Okay, it's um, just the way it is. Now, in this passage, our Lord proclaimed the f- fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy about. Coming to preach the gospel to the poor, and that the kingdom belonged to the poor. This is the message that Jesus sent to John when he says, "Are you the one, or we look for another?" And he sent back to John and he says, "Tell him, pom pom pom." But one of the key things he says, and tell him that the gospel is preached to the poor. Luke seven twenty two. Jesus told the Pharisees to invite the poor to dinner. Not those who could invite you back and pay you back, friends and relatives in Luke 14, 12-14. Now, nothing wrong with inviting your friends and your loved ones and the ones you want to, but if that's the only thing you do as a Christian and you never reach out to help others, then something is definitely wrong. Jesus illustrated the parable of the unjust steward who prepared for his future on earth by the parable of the rich man and Lazarus the beggar in chapter 16. Now, the unjust steward was not commended by Jesus, he was commended by his master for his shrewdness to prepare. Jesus commended him for being wise as a child of the world and he says the children of darkness or of the world are wiser than the children of light. They make provisions for themselves here, in the general light, are not making provisions for the real riches in heaven. So don't blame Jesus of commending the evil. The master commended the shrewdness. Jesus commended the proper investment in heaven, not earth. Now, the rich young ruler walked away sorrowful because Jesus told him to go sell all that he had and give it to the poor. In Luke 18, 22 through 24. But the other gospels tell us Jesus loved him. So he didn't hate him because he was rich. The rich man loved his treasure more than Jesus and the offer he gave him to be saved. Jesus said how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God in verse 24 regarding this rich man. Doesn't mean rich men can't be saved. It means it's harder for them because they trust the riches. Nowhere does Jesus state that every disciple of Christ must leave all possessions, but that a disciple must be willing to forsake them if that's what it comes to and he's called to do. And he told us this in Luke four twenty five through 33. Christ himself is the greatest example. He left, he became poor, being rich, the creator, and he divested himself of his glory and he didn't have a, uh, anywhere to lay his head. Birds of the air have nests, foxes have holes, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Luke 9, 58. He became four for us. Jesus said the poor widow had put in more money than all the rich people put together in Luke 21, 1 through 4. Because she gave of what it took to live. So when we talk about tithing, by the way, we don't take an offering. We receive an offering from God's people. Okay? And we use the word tithe simply as a substitute for the word offering, you're giving, okay? Yes, it means 10%, but if you look at the Old Testament, if you add up all that they had to give, it would be 27, 28% total. So I'm not interested in a legal 10%, because someone who makes $50 a week, a tithe would be a tremendous strain. Someone who made $10,000 a week it would be insignificant. It's interesting, God looks not so much on what we give, though we do. He, gets, he looks upon what we keep. And God doesn't look at, at, at how much we give, but why we give and how we give. It's a whole different perspective, ladies and gentlemen. It is in Luke that the topic of riches and the rich occupy the greatest space along with parables Regarding the rich more than any other gospel. He focuses, he puts that out continually. Now, Jesus pronounced woes on the rich, as you know, in Luke six twenty four, but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Again, it's not that he hates the rich, it's the rich are trusting in their riches for their position, their influence, and not in God. And they do things, and they manipulate and destroy people because of their power, thinking there is no God, but that they are God. That's the problem with money and power. Jesus pronounces the parable of the rich fool to illustrate warning against covetousness as a man spoke from the crowd. Wanting Jesus to be the arbitrator between him and his brother for their inheritance. And so he illustrates that by the parable of the rich fool who laid up treasures for himself on earth. But was poor regarding God in Luke 12, 13 through 21. He had all these barns. Turn them down. Build some newer ones. Fool, your soul is required tonight. Poor towards God. That's the punchline. A person who sees riches and money simply for self is ignorant of the everlasting riches in heaven. People invest here to get the greatest return, and yet as Christians, we can be poverty and make no spiritual investments in the kingdom of God. Jesus uses the word mammon, an Aramaic noun whose root means that which one trusts, the word is used only by Jesus in the New Testament three times here in Luke in the parable of the unjust steward and um, called unrighteous mammon because man has trusted in it for power and security. The only other time it appears is in Matthew 6, 24. The three times it appears in this parable is in Luke 16:9, 11, and 13. Jesus said this. In verse 13, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. Here's the punchline. You cannot serve God and man. You can serve God and have mammon, but you can't serve them both. And mammon and man are used (laughs) synonymously because they're so intricately tied. Luke puts it this way. Now the Pharisees who were lovers of money also heard all these things and they derided Jesus, verse 14, so they understood what Jesus was talking about. He's talking about them. He saw their covetous heart. In fact, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus follows right after this in the same context and is used to illustrate the parable of the unjust steward in 16, 19 through 31. The eternal lostness of the rich man was due to living for and trusting in money instead of God. There's the poverty regarding the gospel. It's not speaking against money or houses or anything, but the trust and the soul dependency at the expense of spiritual riches. Remember what Jesus said about the rich young ruler, that it is more difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God on their own, if not impossible, by the metaphor of a camel going through the eye of a needle in Luke 18, 24 through 25. Now, some commentators you'll read that say, well, the eye of the needle was a small gate in Jerusalem and the, and the camel would have to get on their knees and they'd push him through. The guy was smoking crack when he made that thing. Luke is a physician. The word for needle, there is a surgical needle. That's how difficult it is for rich people who trust in the riches and to the kingdom of God. They're not going to get in unless they repent. Now, this does not teach that rich men are excluded from the kingdom again, only that riches often keep them from the kingdom. In the parable of the sower, wealth choked out the word of God called deceitful riches in Luke 8.14. Possessions have a tendency to possess man's top priorities and eliminate the things of God. Time is the test of all things. Jesus said, for what profit is of man gains his hope,
0: the whole world and loses his soul. Luke 9.25 What are you pursuing that's more important than your relationship with God? An important challenge from Pastor Xavier Reese on today's Simple Truths. And you can hear this message again anytime online by simply selecting Today's Date at the Radio Listings link you'll find at CalvaryChapelPasadena.com. But there's still much more to come right here next time as well. However, in the meantime, you can always pick up your own copy of this message. And the title to ask for is Perspective on Wealth and Possessions. It's available on CD, as usual, for only $4. Once again, you'll be asking for the message titled, Perspective on Wealth and Possessions. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485.